to the world of Doctor Who, the Time Lord that explores the galaxy while on his time-traveling adventures. Welcome to the world of the longest-running science fiction series in history, with your co-hosts Susan Backstrom, David Grunt, Matthew Rose, Tom Diamond, and Craig Johnson. They explore the classic series from its humble beginnings in 1963 and tracking through time to every episode up to the current day. This is the Doctor Who retrospective, where a legend will never die. Your license podcast and this Doctor Who week we'll be discussing the episodes of Doctor Who be the Daleks part two. Of course, this will be the last time we'll be taking Doctor Who storylines into vitamin two. From this point forward, we'll be covering the storylines in their entirety. So before we get started, let's find out who's with us. We got Tom Diamond with us. Hello, Tom. Hello, Keith, and hello to anybody out there who is used to hearing me. Uh, with my various machinations on the Dark Shadows podcast, uh, which I have been very, very kind, uh, which Keith has been very, very kind enough to have me on, I should say, for the past, is it three years? My God, so much time has passed with Keith uh, and Vicki Ray and um, our other uh, guest stars. And uh, I have been thrilled to be a part of that. And I am also just as thrilled for Keith inviting me to be a part of Doctor Who. Uh, and uh, I am a, while I'm a, I consider myself a trivia expert in Dark Shadows, I'm a nervous neophyte when it comes to Doctor Who is concerned. Although I can say that living in America, I did attend uh, a convention in Brooklyn, New York, where the two bakers, Tom and Colin were, uh, were there when they were very, very popular and younger. And uh, we're, um, and uh, Doctor Who was on Channel 9, WOR, for any, uh, anybody listening in from New York, every Saturday morning. And there was a Tom Baker episode. And then I think it went on to Colin and, uh, and so forth. And we got to see a lot of those. There were a lot of Doctor Who fans in the New York area back then, and that's how we knew about it. And I had a friend who collected those old Doctor Who paperbacks. Uh, so we did indeed know about them. Anyway, I'm thrilled to be on here, and uh, I thank you. And it's good to have you back in the thick of things, Tom. So. <laughs> <laughs> you might say that. The thicker the thicker the the worse they are, the thicker they are. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> and what about yourself, Craig? What have you been up to? Hello, everybody. And to all Whovians and uh, Celestial Toy Room listeners and viewers. Um, yeah, I've, I've just been working and looking after my mom. My mom's had um, some surgery. She had a total hip operation. So I've just been looking after her this week. And um, I got promoted at work, so... I started the head office, um, start on December the 5th. So that'll be something new. And yeah, just um, 
but doing bits and bobs and um putting the Christmas decorations up as well. I did that early because oh, I was okay. Um, I'm a, I'm gonna do that probably this weekend or next sort of thing. Yeah. If I'm gonna pay extra for my electricity, might as well make it worth it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you also, um, Craig's also organized uh, a piece in Doctor Who website. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit more? Oh about yeah, that? we're we're gonna feature in the next Celestial Toy Room from the Doctor Who Appreciation Society. I think it will be the magazine or the um, online PDF. So um, yeah, and if you're not a member. Um, you can it's really good you, you get quarterly magazines and free um freebies like postcards and limited edition artworks and stuff so it's pretty cool and it's the dwas um on online and of course if you're a member of our newsletter um among the 3.9 million subscribers we have currently make sure you um, sign up and we'll make sure we'll give you more information during our newsletter 3.9 million we're up oh to my god well we're almost to 3.10 million almost but excuse we're almost me there. that's wow I, I remember when you were two million boy oh boy time is best <laughs> hasn't it <laughs> yeah and hey, what about yourself matthew what have you been up to well i've been so busy that i've gone backwards in time dear boy i used to be on scarrow and now i've returned from the land of scarrow oh, oh sorry heart not just in time okay um I am all right. Uh, sorry, I really need to put him away in the box before these podcasts or things. Um, I am preparing at the minute because in the next few months of February, I'm heading out to um LA because we're going out to um Gallifrey One, the Doctor Who convention for the 60th. So I'm looking forward <laughs> to that. Going to Las Vegas afterwards, but at the moment, in the in between. I am on week two of a course at the minute, which tomorrow is my work experience on admin involving IT so or ICT. So I'm dealing with computers in a hospital. So that's me until December 9th. Oh, well, welcome to the NHS crew. <laughs> yes, and I've seen the benefits of all time and space and your subway machines. I don't know about benefits in the NHS, <laughs> but but it's a job. It pays the bills. So, um, myself, I've just finished um, my contract with Theba um, Software um, for games that will be out in twenty twenty six and through twenty twenty eight. So I finished all those. So I'm contract free at the moment, which is the first time in four years. But um, and besides that, my short story is, has now been shortlisted for a competition. So we'll find out about Ooh. that on the 15th of December, how that did. And um, currently working on a child children's book um, with a, a guy in Morocco um, that we've been commissioned to write. So that's worthy what I'm doing. And of course, I'm watching Warrior Nun, which has come back to Netflix after two years. So nothing big or badass the nuns kicking the crap out of men so basically women empowerment which is quite um convenient considering this is our month of there's always a woman or women are bitches month here at the literary license podcast so with no further ado what we're going to do is cut to the synopsis of doctor who the daleks and be right back This is the synopsis for Doctor Who, The Daleks, Part 1 and Part 2. 
The TARDIS lands in a petrified jungle, where the First Doctor tries to determine their position by taking a reading of the stars. He insists they explore a futuristic city they spot beyond the forest, but Ian Charleston and Barbara Wright are not convinced. In the forest, someone touches Susan Foreman's shoulder. The Doctor does not believe her. Later, a box of vials is found outside the TARDIS. The Doctor claims the fluid link of the TARDIS is running low on mercury, a ruse he later admits to, forcing the crew to travel to the city in search of more mercury. Barbara becomes separated from her colleagues in the city and is threatened by an unseen creature with a metal arm. Before long, the entire crew is captured by unseen creatures operating tank-like machines, the Daleks. Susan is eventually sent to retrieve anti-radiation drugs from the TARDIS after the Doctor realizes this is what the box contained. Susan encounters a second species, the Thals, who used to be at war with the Daleks. The Thal who left the drugs reveals he encountered her in the forest. Susan attempts to broker peace between the two groups, and while it appears to work, the Daleks eventually betray the Thals, opening fire on them at what was supposed to be a peaceful exchange of food. The Daleks attempt using the anti-radiation drugs, but discover that they are fatal to Daleks. They conclude that Daleks need radiation to survive and decide to bombard the atmosphere with more radiation. In the ensuing chaos, the Doctor and his companions escape from the Thals and learn their version of the history of their planet. They also learn that the Thals are avowed pacifists. They are unable to leave Skyro, however, as the fluid link has been taken by the Daleks. In order to save them from the Daleks, the TARDIS crew convinces the Thals of the importance of aggression and warfare and manages to lead the Thals in a successful attack against the Daleks. At the end, it is believed the Daleks' race has been destroyed with their power supplies knocked out. The TARDIS crew leaves Garo, but an explosion in the TARDIS knocks them out. And that is the synopsis for Doctor Who, The Daleks, Part 1 and Part 2. Hello, welcome to the Trilogy Podcast. We're discussing The Daleks, Part 2 from Doctor Who. And starting with you, Craig, what are your thoughts of Doctor Who Part Two? Um, for this, for the Part Two, like episodes five, six, seven, it was, it was a good adventure. Um, it was nice. I, I re, I like the slick design of the geometric sets, um, the sound effects, this weird buzzing when you know when you go when they pan when the camera pans to the Daleks domes and spaceships inside the spaceship and then you get that that noise i like that and um ebenezer scrooge he was ebenezer who he was <laughs> ebenezer who. With, his, with his with his cane when he was yeah. destroying the, which they work people with <laughs> when he was destroying the uh bits of the spaceship and blew it up that was cool and it was good to see the i like the thals with when they were jumping through caverns and it was a good little uh it tied it up nicely and obviously you know it was a good start for the daleks because then they became you know an established you know british institution <laughs> and uh you know it was a good um premiere for them i think um even I the did. i saw yeah. some of the i saw when barbara was going to be exterminated in the first episodes 
the the still shot of that if you see on the dvd it looks quite shocking the, the photograph it's such a effective shot and i think it would have been really scary back then in the 60s to have seen something like that if if people hadn't seen something like that before it would have probably scared a lot of kids and been hid behind the sofa so i i get that it's it's um you know now we've got things like the purge and hostel <laughs> i think we've, we've Reconditioned ourselves to watch more of Terrifier too. They seem to do a lot of overexposures in this episode to do the extermination. They don't. Yeah. They haven't. Later on, I think they, uh, later on, they kind of focus on the uh, special effects more to get that extermination uh, right. And they also. They'll, they also don't say exterminate, exterminate, exterminate yet. Mm. They focus on extermination. Mm. They're just getting their, apparently they're just getting their act together. Yeah, they, and, they use it as an anesthetic almost, like to paralyze <laughs> you. I'm thinking that that must have been them being quite uh, lenient. <laughs> I did I also, find it a I did yeah. find it a bit worrying, though, in, the, in these three episodes where you got dot, um, you got the Doctor Who and his crew t- saying that, you know, you need to rise up and fight to an Aryan race. <laughs> <laughs> there is. Because <laughs> they're all blonde. I don't know. What, I don't know what happened to the TV version of Raquel Wells because she was like in epi- episode four. She's gone. So now they're all Aryan. They're all blonde. So it's like, OK. <laughs> Might that have had something to do with Terry Nation, who was writing the uh, who was uh, writing the thing? Had he had been into the anti-Nazism and stuff like that, and how that might have been reflected. I don't the, know. I mean, Doc, Doctor Who said so you need to rise, the rise up and go to war. It's like, okay. <laughs> when, we, when we get to um, Genesis of the Daleks, um, you can see it there. You can see that where the SS traits were were based on, and Terry Nation's ideas of um, the SS ideology. Mm-hmm. I did wonder about um, Susan and Barbara not wearing sensible shoes the whole time while they're climbing over rocks and stuff. Oh, we can see like, what oh. you're looking at. You know, in Dark Shadows, he was always talking about Carolyn's outfits. <laughs> <laughs> well, and now here he is talking about the shoes. Well, we got them all in leather pants this time around. I missed you, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's and, I, and, I, and I really like little Cindy Lou who's all grown up from How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the blonde haired woman with a little thing on her head. She's like little, little Cindy Lou Who from the How the Grinch Stole Christmas. You'll find in Doctor <laughs> when the assistants um, wear the high heels, they always end up breaking an ankle or twisting their ankle on a twig. Well, so that, that I mean, be, that's more like the 70s, though. We've got all that to come. <laughs> I mean, here they're, you know, rocket, you know, climbing over rocky paths and stuff like this and surprised no one broke an ankle that time around sort of thing. But And they were wearing PVC vests. Yeah, I mean, it was, isn't, I mean, I, I also thought it was very nice that the thaw gave, um, you know, gave Susan a Debenham fuzzy um, comforter to take away with her comforty blinky. So that was quite nice. Yeah. <laughs> before she died of radiation poisoning <laughs> but i have to say that these um for me these episodes are really really well and i love the way they were shot i love the cave when they're going through the cave um the way that was shot with the the black on the top and bottom sort of thing it kind of reminded me of like when you play a computer game and you go into a cave and all of a sudden they do that yeah you know, they black out the tops and bottoms and and then um and then also 
you know, I thought it was a good um, representation of pacifist. And basically it's like, it's okay to be a pacifist until basically when your life's on the line and you might want to change your ideologies a little bit. So. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting. Also, you know, they have always had like Daphne dare does all the costumes and they have her doing all the costumes for practically the next for, for actually the first three years. And that reminded me of dark shadows where they had, Ramsman Stoller doing all the costumes for practically uh, most of most of that. So it, it appears that once they hand, once they hired one customer for a particular show, they just kept her, and uh, they didn't run around looking for other people. Uh, but Daphne Dare, what a name! Uh, you know, I wonder. You know, but but, but again, uh, the. You know, it's what I also thought about the set, since we're talking about part two, the the sets where they're running through the um, where they're where they're running through the uh, halls and they seem to duplicate each other, uh, all the doors and and so forth. That reminded me, I don't know how many of you are Star Trek fans, but that reminded me of the episode The Cage which later became the menagerie where uh, the captain, the captain Pike and the captain Kirk, they're going through. Uh, it's the same kind of, it's the same kind of infinite doorways uh, that they're going. Through. And that's interesting because this was done around the end of 63 and Roddenberry's pilot at that time was done uh, not too many months later around April of 64. So it could be just coincidence. I wonder if that had something to do with it. But I was struck by the coincidence between the two sets. And that's just something to throw out there. Uh, But, uh, you know, but certainly for England, uh, I think that was a very, very uh, novel, uh, novel thing that, you know, this repetitive, funhouse kind of atmosphere i also like the um which i'm not i'm not sure i've ever seen this done in an early television show but where we got a pov shot of the daleks you know from their point of view and i thought that was very very clever as well i mean of course i mean he wasn't you know how do you make a dalek go crazy put him in a round room it seems because they just kept spinning around as he's going into his radiation lack of I guess he's starvating starving or dying or something like that um but the I thought radiation that was very, sickness I think it was the, yeah they they, they yeah. live on radiation though the Daleks though don't they they wound up, what they we wound up with, I think they wound up living on radiation they didn't it was the anti-radiation so drug that they couldn't deal with sort of right thing. they thought it they thought the radiation drug was going to kill them but then they wound up but then they found out that they needed radiation to survive. And by taking the radiation drug, they became infected. And it looked like they were having a gigantic hallucination where they were spinning all the way around around. So, uh, yeah. So I think that was what that was about. But I, I quite like that. I thought that was very interesting, especially to a POV shot. I mean, especially when you think of a POV shot, 
in a in a time time frame of 1963 with your cameras were as big as like small toyotas <laughs> you know that's quite an interesting thing to be that's quite an interesting feat to be able to accomplish to be able to have it spin around like that into a like a little room and i mean it was going at a 360 degree angle so to be able to do that had to be i mean it's quite very forthcoming for 1963 to be able to do something like that you know, as you know, with Dark Shadows and other shows that were being done around this time, well, Dark Shadows is later, but, you know, there was not a lot of camera movement going on at the time because the cameras are huge and very cumbersome. It took like two or three people to move a camera in those days. So what about, your, yeah. what about yourself, Matthew? What are your thoughts? Oh, oh just... um. I've actually moved on from the Daleks at this point. I'm actually got Vicky at the minute, but to go back into my mind with this story, um, I think personally, for like, from when we first started doing this, from to see the crew dynamics had completely changed from an unearthly child, because you know they were all kidnapped in that last episode with the cavemen. Here with the Daleks, they seem to have really adapted to each other as a family unit quickly, the Doctor, Susan, Ian and Barbara. So looking back on the first half and this half, to me, there has been nothing like this on television. As you said, the POV shot must have been incredibly difficult to film because the doors, as you've probably seen, they probably looked huge because that was the camera angle in the studio, but it probably... They must have had to be extremely careful not to bang into Jacqueline, who played um, Barbara, with it. From my perspective of it, on the whole, seeing it has some of the best visual shots, like for Susan, they hinted in the first story this might have been like a couple of planets after her solo travel with her grandfather, but she was very independent in this story. And you can tell this is her first solo time without him when she goes to the TARDIS and she's like petrified and the whole lightning shot's incredible because she's like she's like you hear Ian's voiceover and you're like come on Susan get back to your grandfather the Daleks are an institution in their own right because in this story that we are seeing them this is the earliest of the Daleks they haven't developed flying yet they haven't developed the adaptations they're basically limited to scarrow they can't really move off of the floor and that limits them so they're both are at their strength and weakness in this story and the way the foals are in this story compared to later it was very interesting seeing their whole origins like you're assuming that they're the villains and the Daleks are the heroes on the planet Scarrow, but then they want to eat that the Daleks are the villains. And to go back to extermination, yes, it's like extermination doesn't count shit for them. It's like they can just stun them, but they can't physically kill them at this point. So this is all points to take later for Daleks. We're seeing the most simplest levels before they come back in the next series for Daleks Invasion of Earth, where they've adapted to killing and they've adapted to the whole extermination front. So how I view these, this story, it's probably essentially one of the most essential Dalek stories because you're seeing how you're seeing them at their most like vulnerable. 
they can be easily destroyed. One of my favorite moments is when they're dealing with um, an elevator scene and they're pushing like a rock down there and it destroys the Dalek. Now, Daleks now wouldn't be that easily destroyed. So for like a statue or rocks just like to break them apart and destroy them, that that's fascinating to me how easy they are compared to later. Mm. I like that scene where the Thals were attacking the Daleks um, and you had them being exterminated or um, the Daleks were just having their bits twisted by the Thals and thrown across the room and stuff. Now, uh, now when you say bits, just to be clean for people. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say that, I mean, I mean, if you look at the Thals in in general, I mean, this is what happens when you, you know, pretty much pent up, you know, generation upon generation of pacism, pac- I mean, pacifist, and all of a sudden you just let go. It's like, whoa. I have to also put my hats off, especially with the um, John Boy Thaw. Um, I don't know, the one who was hanging off the cliff. And the way that was filmed was very well very well done. I I had really difficult times figuring out the Falls names, though. For me, they, there's like one group sort of thing, like the Daleks are just the Daleks. There's not. It's really hard to signify a Dalek out of who who's the leaders at the moment. And the Falls, I had a bit of difficulty differentiating them because they none of them have really character names. They're just the Fall sort of thing, and they would speak sort of thing, and. You know, so you have to figure out, you know, which blonde haircut was speaking to, you know, to differentiate them and try to remember what haircut was, you know, either hanging down or or the one who's going to punch um, the, oh. the teacher. Okay. <laughs> well, just quickly, I'd have to say series one is probably the best for Caroline and Ford, because when you see the next series, it's like they had run out of ideas what to do with Susan. So they just made her the screamer, the fall over and break her ankle. And people, and that's part of the reason why Caroline Ford decided to leave. It's because it's not really going like how this first series was. This is her most consistently performed series. And when you see her in the next scene, she just becomes a background part drowned up by Ian and Barbara. Well, I find that um, Ian's grown some testicles now i know he's a bit more forthright than mm-hmm. was before he's taking a more of a, a forefront which is quite good um barbara she still looks like an english teacher from cheshire so i mean she's still going at it in her little tweet outfit and then uh, <laughs> but <laughs> i do have i do have a question though with um the daleks captures susan they got her um they got her manacled by the ankles and by the by the wrist and i do understand that i don't understand she could just got out of her ankle manacles very easily because i mean she did that she had those like really cheap slipped on shoes and she that she just slide your feet out of where the other one had the boots on that are kind of clamped around the boots so it'd be hard for him to get his shoes off his boots off or her i was like why don't you just get your why don't you just get out of your manacles your ankle manacles <laughs> <laughs> but she, I, I have to say that she was able to climb a tree with those same shoes on. They didn't fall off. <laughs> she, I mean, she's very, she's, she's a very in tune girl. She's very spry. I wanted to clarify something because uh, I think Matthew, you said that uh, the Daleks were able to stun the Thal and not kill them. Uh, I could have sworn that there were a couple of uh, 
that there were a couple of Thaw that they uh, used their overexposure rayon that actually did die when the, when they got them. And oh, uh, yeah. I'm sorry, it has been a little while since I've seen this half of the Daleks because I only watched it the other day, but it just felt like the deaths just felt like it was stunned to me. So I do apologize. No, 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 that's all right. I'm like watching it for the that, first time. That, that's that's when they went into a negative. And that, yeah. Were they dying when they went to the negative? When they were turned into a, a negative oh, film? Was like, yeah, because when the screen color changed, that was um, them being exterminated. Yeah, I'm so used to seeing the deaths in color. So seeing it in black and white again just thrown me a bit. You, you thought it was a stun. Yeah, yeah. I, and, and I think they were trying to... Uh, and uh, the thing with the stone or something like that also, that was another, that was another thing that, well, and, and again, uh, because I have to watch more of these, but uh, the, uh, some, of these, uh, some of these effects, when you have the, when you have their, when you have their overexposure on stone, it seems to crack, it, it seems to crush. The stone yeah. seems to crush, and so that's also indicative of a uh, of a of a force that seems to destroy the inner workings of a substance. So that's what I also that's why I also got the impression that they were killing a couple of thals rather. Than, but no, 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 no. I just I, I was just I was just like trying to clarify the issue. Yeah, yeah. That's no problem. Yeah, that's no problem. Uh, it gives a uh, but it, it does seem like they're trying to set something at the outset that if you get in the way of a if you get in the way of a Dalek ray, watch out. And yeah, because uh, as when they go in the later episode, they call themselves the pure race. Anybody who's not Dalek, they want to destroy. Well, that's very interesting that you mentioned that because once again, that's a reference to Nazism, and and, and I really think that. Uh, that's something that you can push back to Terry Nation. And uh, I think that may have been a part of his, uh, I mean, I, I never looked him up and I will, I will at a certain point, but that must have been something that really influenced his writing, that he put something in there. Uh, as a, so maybe the Daleks were the Nazis to a certain extent. And uh, to that, and that makes it even more interesting because the Thal, were blonde and blue eyed. Mm. Yeah, and when you meet the creator Davros in Genesis, that will give you more of a background what Terry was aiming for. Hmm. Hmm. Very interesting. Okay. I actually did a little bit of research to, on. To I expect you, you would. I, I expect you would. Well, to be honest, I I had no um, information about Doctor Who. I kind of was thrown into it, which I'm kind of glad I now am thrown into it. But I did watch um, a documentary on the first Doctor Who. There's some good Doctor Who um, documentaries on there. But I did watch um, the the TV movie, Doctor Who, An Adventure in Time and Space and yes, Time, so about the original I. Doctor oh, Who. Yes, right. Oh, Adventure in Space and Time, that's a good film with David Bradley. Yeah, oh, I, like I had to say that. Like it the- made me warm to this Doctor Who a lot more after after watching the first Doctor Who, where they basically take each each episode a, a thing of each Doctor. So I saw the first one. I didn't bother going further next. I'm gonna go as we're going moving forward. 
but I have more of an appreciation for Ebenezer who I like, I'm, I'm to be honest, I quite like his gruff manner. I don't, I don't know what the, I have never seen any of the other episodes. So I had nothing to compare him to, Right. but I really like, I'm really liking his gruffness, his grumpy old madness is, is because, because what I'm finding with him is I'm finding dip um, in the first few, you know, an unearthly child. And then um, until we're here, I didn't notice all the shades of his personality and all the complexities of this doctor. And I'm yeah. noticing it now. I'm noticing a lot more. He, this doctor is a lot more complex than he even asked, I know of. He asked Verity, I think, and said Barry Lambert to mellow him down a little bit because he was too grouchy. And to yeah. be more... And you can see that with Vicky, he's compared to Susan, he seems like he warms to her a lot more than his own granddaughter. <laughs> yeah. I'd I mean, I think that I, I mean I, I think I think for a first doctor, I mean I mean this is this is the reason why it continues onward, uh, continue onward. This is the first. Without him, there without this first doctor, you wouldn't have Doctor Who. Mm. Oh, um oh. And Keith, because I was doing some research recently on the Big Finish podcast that came out last week, and Nick Briggs basically said we remove the thing Time Lord when they do audios now for the first Doctor, because that doesn't exist to Patrick Chowton. And if they see it in any of the scripts now, they will edit it out. So it stays true to the era. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, all that stuff comes up when he got ill, wasn't he? And he, he had to leave the series and then they had to figure out what they're going to do with the series and that's probably when all that stuff came in didn't it but at this time because yeah. there's sure an alternative can. ending plan for the tenth planet if this wasn't going to work it was a very dark original ending plan where you see him collapse from the floor like you do in the episode but it would have faded to black and they would have revealed after the episode that the first doctor passed away and not regenerated so mm. If they hadn't come up with that concept, it wouldn't be ready for the 60th next year now. Mm. But I mean, I I mean my hats are my hats off to Doctor Who. I mean, I had said that the Daleks really takes it off in another direction. I wasn't too sold on prehistoric man one. I have to admit that I wasn't <laughs> yeah, that wasn't one of my favorites. When you got really prehistoric man history. walking around talking in Shakespeare. Oh god. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and they had really good dentistry for that time too. It's like when did cave people get good teeth? That's the only well, episode, yeah. by the way, where uh the first one, an unearthly child, that's the only episode where uh Doctor Who smokes. You'll yes. never see, yeah, you'll right. never see him smoke after the first episode. Right. Yeah, so he's a, mainly a drinker as it goes on, he loves his alcohol. <laughs> yeah, <fry> <laughs> I, mean, I mean another thing I found quite interesting about him as well is, is that um there is a style and a a pageantry about the way he delivers his role as well that I'm noticing right with now. this as well. Did you spot I mean, the error, Keith? Because Obviously, back when they were filming these episodes, it was like a stage play. And if you messed up your lines, you couldn't get a retake. So there's one point where Hartnell says, go and fetch the drugs. He actually says, go and fetch the gloves. I mean, drugs. That, the, <laughs> the, the, that's, that's a big blooper, uh, by the way. 
And and I was quite, uh, I was smiling when I saw that, uh, because that's just something you would have seen on Dark Shadows 50 times a day. And yeah. uh, here you see it right away, go for it. And, and none of them batted an eye when he said that, which goes to show you, I mean, they were really in character. They didn't snicker, they didn't laugh, they didn't, you know, that kind of thing. And that's a, that's a true... Uh, that's a true blue. Plus, yeah. what you don't see is you do see um, uh, the shadows of the of the booms on the mics. You do see that in uh, in this uh, in the Daleks, but you don't see it that often. They really did a heck of a job in uh, trying to be professional here, and not like the Dark Shadows. I'm afraid where they just let things go with the heck with it. Uh, but they were really, really trying to be professional here. I mean, Doctor Who, I guess we need to look at, I mean, they did what, 25 episodes, I mean, I mean, 25, 20 to 25 minute episode per week where Dark Shadows was doing a 20 minute episode every day, five days a week, you know, and mm-hmm. for five mm-hmm. years. So basically it's like hit and run because this has to go out, you know, sort mm-hmm. of thing. We don't have time to was go right? back and look at it. Did you see the bit where he was with Susan and he said to, to look out for the fornicator? Yeah. Oh, I didn't catch up. That's all I heard. That just just slipped by that one. Who is the fornicator? The one that fall. (laughs) (laughs) The fall were very touchy feely. I've noticed. It's like ooh, (laughs) there was a dark haired woman in our midst. There was a bromance. (laughs) We like you. (laughs) (laughs) There's a dark haired woman with no twig in her hair. I think what people like is the next series because when the next series arrives, when the Daleks are starting to be more fully developed, it's the episode Susan leaves it and they're starting to develop what they can go in the water. They've gotten over the barriers on Scarrow and it does actually get brought up. Like the first episode is like, hmm, yes, we fought them in the future and human people were like thinking they were insane, like talking about the future. I mean, another interesting thing is that when Doctor Who first appeared, I think it was getting six million viewers, and when this do- when the Daleks appeared, they got ten million, which made them a yeah. hit. Yeah, because Sydney Newman, as in the documentary, it was very close to it. Say, no bug-eyed monsters. They wanted it to be purely a historical figure. The cave people, I think, Verity had to fight for the Daleks, and if they hadn't done it, I think Doctor Who would have been a one-and-done series. Especially when we get, you know, I mean, I haven't seen them yet, but when I was going through, you know, when I was putting our website together, I had to go put through the Doctor Who descriptions and stuff for our website, what we're covering for season six here. And when I got to the Marco Polo information, I thought, God, this is going to boring and then he told me it got and then he told me it got lost i'm thinking maybe that's a good thing but <laughs> i mean i i haven't seen him i don't know anything about the storyline but i know when i was right reading the descriptions and i had to like shorten this up to like a paragraph to to give us a little sound bites for doctor who and i had to sit there and say when we get to like edge of destruction or we get to the one um or the the giant one and the other things like this, I found that a lot more interesting than the historical fact based ones that we that we'll be going yeah. into later on. So could, as far as descriptions go, yeah, because historicals with Doctor Who have gotten better now with the new series. Where historicals back then, it's like they didn't know what to do with them, 
and it seemed more or less now people care more about learning about history than then because Doctor Who became purely science fiction after the Hartnell era. Mm. Well, I also think that you have to be very, very careful when you go back in time anyway, which we've had, we've had this problem with Dark Shadows. Dark Shadows goes back in time a lot. And what happens is that you change, whatever you change in the past affects where you are in the present sort of thing. And I, you know, watching like the making of Doctor Who for the first season, I noticed that that was one of their big um, situations like how involved can they be with the past because if they anything if they change anything in the past it's going to change where we are in the present and we got to make sure our viewers don't overthink this process sort of thing so I thought that was quite interesting yeah there's a top story that comes up for Barbara for the Aztecs and one and her are very at odds because she says you can't change history, not, not one line of it, and she's adamant about changing it. What's she dressed in the Aztec here? <laughs> well, I mean the Aztecs. I mean, um, it'd be interesting how they do that. Aztecs, um, when the Spanish um, settlers arrived in Mexico and they decided to change their way of life as what was happening in North America at that time. Um, the Aztecs would capture them. And then what they would do is they would lay them across a huge rock and then basically take this other thing and like, rip it through their heart and then pull their heart out. <laughs> so I was like, oh, so when I saw the Aztecs, I go, oh, I wonder how far, the, wonder how far the BBC is going to go into that aspect. <laughs> That'd be at interesting. Point, I think they tried to do some killing in the Aztecs, but they're like, nope, nope, no, one and co have to like stop it. They were they were quite a um, brutal brutal fair. I mean, that's where that's where you know, the you know where you take the virgin and you kill her for the gods. That was all part of the Aztecs as well. Yeah, yeah. that plays into the Aztecs at one for one moment. And Barbara's just like, no, we must let this person live. We must do it. And one's like, no. Well, we know. Oh, well, what was Barbara going to be sacrificed as a virgin? Poor thing. <laughs> <laughs> not Barbara from Cheshire <laughs> not Barbara from Cheshire <laughs> but what you're also noticing... with her sensible shoes and her tweed outfit <laughs> <laughs> I know she has the full get she has the full get up on they put her all in the Aztec costume so she's wearing it I, I thought it was Barbara's um, I thought Barbara was like the daughter of Miss Marple <laughs> dressed like Miss Marple <laughs> poor thing yeah, and I and I like the way that I, what I did find funny with this with this way this the 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 last episode that we cover is that when they're going back in the TARDIS and Susan's got this great big blanket and then they go oh here we got this for you and she's got like a little wrap it's like oh poor Barbara she <laughs> gets a wrap yeah. she goes oh, I'll make a dress out of this it's like what a bikini. <laughs> Well, for the age before like, you, might want, you might want Susan's blanket. You might you're probably make two outfits out of that instead of your wrap. Yeah. Before the age before trilogies, people have viewed this as a trilogy and an earthly child to edge destruction because you're seeing the start of them mm. to them essentially becoming a family crew within the first three episodes. Mm. Well, you can see where that family formation is forming at the moment, where you got you know, mom and dad to Susan, and then you got, and then you got the grump, the grumpy old, the grumpy grandfather who's, you know, at the time knows all, but 
you know, if he does, if he, if something happens and he does make a mistake, you know, he's kind of like, no, that wasn't me. That's sort of thing. Kind of get with the grandfather in any family sort of thing. Like, you know, does, doesn't own that, up to making mistakes ever. <laughs> I think for me, there have been Edge of Destruction, The Sensorites, Dalek Invasion and The Daleks was Susan's best acting performances for Caroline Ford. But as I say, they the BBC is like, they didn't know how to handle the crew of three. And it was like she was getting drowned out and typecast into the screamer, hurts herself kind of girl. And it's like, that's part of the reason why Caroline left. Well, Susan, Susan's quite an interesting character anyway, because I think, because this is considered a children or family situation, a family TV show, wasn't it? This was made for children sort of thing and then when i guess susan was supposed to be the catalyst of what us the children viewers at that time would are supposed to be seeing everything through susan's eyes which is kind of weird because it doesn't really play that way because i think what happened is we're actually seeing the the world through the teacher's eyes really mm. yeah because even in that first story even though we see the TARDIS first, it's essentially Ian and Barbara properly first. And, you know, like seeing the TARDIS, we're seeing the TARDIS through their eyes. We're going, we're going, we're, we're going on to a new land and we're prehistoric time. We're seeing it through the teacher's eyes. When we get on Scaros, we're now seeing it through the teacher's eyes. So it's kind of, so it's a kind of weird thing where I think it sounds like what happens, which I haven't gone any further than this, but it sounds like what they try to do is kind of grab that back so that way you're that the Susan's going to be the children audience and that's who they want the, the the children or the family audience to go behind. And it sounds like that's when things kind of go a bit awry for the Susan yeah, character. Because yeah. I don't think it's viewed often enough, but on that note, is the very first time you see Doctor Who, it's not the doctor's the main focus in the early days, it's the companions, mainly like Ian and Barbara, but then when they go and all that, because Ian and Barbara do leave the show when during the Vicky era, and to me, that's when it becomes equal for like the Doctor to have like a family. For it, it's like finally the Doctor's the main lead, and the companions are no longer. It's no longer the story of Ian, Barbara, and Susan. It becomes the show. Essentially, now it's the Doctor and friends, not two teachers that is essentially kidnapped through their eyes. I mean, I also say that the series seems to be a bit ahead of its time as well, because what we have so far from the episodes that we've seen is Susan is quite a strong female character. She's not she doesn't need to be saved half the time. She um, she's able to fight her own battles. She stands she stands up to what she believes in. Um, she stands up to the grandfather. She's not the obedient child that what we what we tend to get in a series that around this time period then i have to say that's, that's quite interesting barbara's still the damsel in stress you know outside of like teaching us how to make mud in part one of the daleks but she doesn't really have a lot to do sort of thing you know she's the voice of reason she's the the mothering voice of reason uh, where susan where susan is quite a strong teenage female role which is yeah. quite interesting aspect for 1963 yes yeah, so but on that note that's just so funny you say that because i as i say i've watched vicky's 
first story the last two days because they're two they're only two episodes and Barbara's literally rescued by Vicky the new companion. Yeah, I mean that's that's quite that's quite an achievement. I mean, this is before women's rights and women's liberation and stuff like this, which would happen like in 67 to 69. So and this is 1963. So that's it's quite interesting to have a strong female character like that in a TV show. So you know, maybe that has to do with Verit, um, the producer. What's her name? Veridity what? Verity Lambert. Oh, Lambert. That might have something to do with her. Because, I mean, wasn't she one of the first uh, female producers for the BBC as yeah. well? For TV, yeah, because they had to fight for that. Because, obviously, as I say, like, what I was saying, here's so her, like, colleague, as was Sydney Newman, who was overseeing. And it was diversity before diversity even existed. So that's very good. And especially when you look at the director and the writer of it as well. I mean, we're looking at a an Asian male of that time as well, which is quite a step forward. First um, female producer. Female you know, producer, I was also so. wondering at the very end of uh, this whole adventure, uh, the uh, the teacher, and it looks like the teacher is attracted to one of the Thal. And, uh, and you know, and she kind of gives him a you know, and she kind of gives him a kiss on the cheek or something like that. And you kind of wonder where there's a where there's a hint of well, maybe there's going to be a sequel, and she'll see him again, and maybe there's going to be a hint of a romance or something. And then Is that with Barbara? That was it Barbara that kissed the Barbara? Right, 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 right. Well, see, I think th- I think Barbara keeps trying to throw a leg over Ian, but I don't think Ian's interested. Uh, was that, was that in get married. Yes, they get married later on after they leave. Who, Ian Barbara and Barbara? And Ian? Yes, wow. Ian and Barbara, they're married. Wow. Uh, well, oh, I mean, wow. she she has she has a hot. I mean, she's got it hot for teacher. I tell you that. I don't. It's not so much <laughs> for him. I mean, he seems to be like, I you know, I need to get out of my sweater vest and prove how rugged I am. So that's you know, that's what Ian's doing. But Bar- Barbara's always kind of looks, you know, giving her little cat eyes over to Ian every once in a while. You do see a little bit of a. You know, he's he's not reciprocating, but she's trying. More or less in their final story, you see that they cat. Yeah, when you finally see them leave the doctor and they're going back home, it's always been implied from fans for years that they got married. And thanks to the new series of Doctor, it was confirmed that they were married, living in Cambridge as a happy couple. Well, I mean, I mean, to be honest, I mean, she's not married in this because she's Miss. That her um, title is Miss. Do they have the original actors that played them in the new series? Um, sadly, Jacqueline passed away years ago, but William Russell just came back for Power of the Doctor for Jodie's Regeneration, and he's 98 this month. Oh my god, that was so cool! Just to see him again in the uh, in the group therapy, they did a group therapy circle. for all past assistants of the doctor and and to talk about their time times times time traveling and it was really funny it, it was a nice little um send off at the end oh my well God. he he had quite a blossoming career after the doctor anyway didn't he yes yeah. i saw him in superman for christopher reeve oh wow yeah oh, wow. And what, what's his name john uh william russell 
William Russell. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I keep, you, yeah, I keep getting also, confused with Willie Russell, the playwright. Well, <laughs> he's like, no, he didn't write Blood Brothers. He's also in an adventure in time and space. Yeah. He was the security yeah. guard in that. Caroline Ford appears in that, so there's a lot of companions. But what people don't know, really, is his son, Alfred Enoch, was Dean Thomas in Harry Potter. And so he had his son, might, he might have been 70 off when he had his boy, he was in Harry Potter. Wow. He's a randy one. Wow. <laughs> well, I mean, he was a bit of a looker for his time, wasn't he? So, yeah, you know. he got to reprise the role if they finished as Ian quite, but through that, they got him to play Hartnell sometimes, so you'd hear him do the voice of the narrator, then he'd do the first Doctor voice. He's like, come on, Chesterton, and it actually goes into his voice as Ian. I know where I, I, know, where I know the actor from. He was in The Great Escape with Steve McQueen. That's where I yeah. know him from. Uh. So, that was Ian's, Ian's nice career. Yeah, he had, a, he had a very good career sort of thing, yeah. you know, which, you know, yeah. hats off for BBC. You know, this was what? This is on a Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, five, yes. five six o'clock? Yes, because when we covered Tea the first time. episode, they had to repeat it because of the JFK assassination, so they put it on the week later. Hmm. Wow, that's really which, something. Yeah, it's funny that that you say that because we discontinued it because we realized the storylines kept continuing over and over, same script over and over, which was Bewitched. And Bewitched had to go do the same thing because JFK, when Bewitched first premiered. So at that time. so Well, do we have any more, anything more we want to add about Doctor Who Part 2, The Daleks? Well... Before it's time, I'd have to say Terry Nation really did think outside of the box because this could have worked really well in the BBC's favour or this episode could have been like, oh, thank you so much, but please don't do this again. We're going back to historicals. And it proves the Daleks, like the TARDIS, the Doctor, they've stood the test of time because most of the actors who work on Doctor Who now or in any institution that know of it all share similar views that they watched it on Saturday night and were terrified of the Daleks because of this story. That's interesting. But it also made its place. I mean, because of this storyline, I mean, it's made its place into media, television history. And not many, not many shows can say that, can they? So, no. And as you will see as they go on, as I say, in the next time they appear, they now have a Dalek Supreme, which is like the stuff they designed a leader for the Daleks that would lead the factions. So they start expanding into new factions as it goes on so people like oh we're sick of the daleks and then they bring in new daleks now consistently just so that you get to explore more layers of them well we're looking at the end of this episode they were all killed off so they have to come up with an explanation as to how they were um as to how they were uh saved from that uh well i'm assuming they must have stolen some they must have when they had um the um doctor who's um or ebenezer who's technology for the tardis they must have stolen a, some information from what they had or some technology from what they had i, I think because at the moment they, i mean because they do appear later on don't they when they take over london which will be coming up yeah, later i think in the next episode dalek invasion of earth <laughs> It was a different faction of the Daleks that already stationed on Earth from Scarrow, so they didn't know what had happened from this event. So, I mean, they, another thing is that you know, like a time dimension as well, and 
you know, Marvel's been do- Marvel's been getting away with this forever, so they could be in another time time dimension. <laughs> so, so, sort of Did they ever so. come up with an alternate universe, Doctor Who? Or is that um, still I think a big finish, but they've had like loads of those. David Warner, who just passed recently, had been their longest running for, for the Doctor on audio, and he got to meet the Daleks as well. Well, uh, David Warner, I always remember his head rolling around in the in the Omen. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing I, 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 what a plate of glass will do to a person. Patrick Chan uh, in the in the Omen. Yeah, Patrick, you get, Patrick Charles in the second doctor was in there, yeah. He gets, he gets a spear through him, I think. Yeah. That's um, Patrick Charles, yeah. Well, that's the thing yeah. about Superman, Star Wars, uh, The Omen, they were all filmed in this country. They are all filmed in England. So you, yeah. you get a lot of those Superman. actors popping up in these yeah, Superman is filmed here. Uh, the original with Reeve was filmed here because Sarah Douglas and Terrence Stamp was it, oh. it was back to back those first two films. Yeah. They're all filmed Superman in England, sort of thing. Wow. Yeah. So that, that's the that's the reason. That's that's the reason why, especially like in Star Wars, you'll see a lot of English character actors running but, around and but to look back on the whole for this story. Um to look back <laughs> on the whole from this story is it's essentially the Doctor is the very mischievous in the story. He literally, when we covered part one, he literally faked the whole thing because he just wanted to go and explore in the jungle, and then it put him actually into danger. So it was his fault they got to meet his greatest enemy. It's very, very well done. Are you looking for a graphic design that will take you to the next level? Or something that shows confidence within a growing market to help you stand out amongst the crowd? Amazing Designs gives consistent and on-brand designs whether you are looking for something conservative or you want to let your imagination soar. They bring professionalism to a high standard and they are able to visualize your ideas and give them that extra edge. Working one-on-one with their designers will give you a design that will live up to your expectations and more. Affordable, expert designs for all occasions whether it's logos, brochures, or whatever you can dream of. Amazing Designs is your to-go place for creativity and hands-on expertise. Try Amazing Designs today. Contact them via email at amazingdesigns505 at gmail.com. That's amazingdesigns505 at gmail.com or reach out by phone at crunchycold1805-203-0427. We love them so much here at the Literary License Podcast that we use them ourselves. So I think what we're going to do now is let's cut to our favorite character and our least favorite character. And we'll start with you, Matthew. Who's your favorite character of these episodes and your least favorite character? I definitely say favorite. And it still stands as Susan because it felt like Caroline Ford had a lot more to do. It seemed like they were testing Susan's independence in the story, how she could cope away from her grandfather. And I think my my least favorite, I don't I'm like you with the files. It just seemed though that the file who literally kept denying that the Daleks are evil, that they were force of good. It's like he was really patronizing that they were not really nice. And you and then everyone was seeing through it. And he was like, nah, 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 nah. It must be, it must be the intruders. It must be them. It's not the Daleks. And what about yourself, Craig? Um, 
I liked Ian's role in this one. I feel like he had more character padded out. Um, we're getting to know like the real Ian and getting him to be more gutsy sort of thing. Um, I love the Daleks, and um, yeah, my fa- my my scene stealer is the petrified, the petrified paper mache lizard in the. <laughs> it got captured in the petrified jungle. That was my. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I've got a soft spot for that. I have to sit there and say, um, before we move to Tom, is I found it weird that the Thal sit there and goes, oh, there's some very unusual, strange animals in the swamp. And you're thinking to yourself, like, you live there. They wouldn't be strange and unusual to you. You live there. You live on that planet. <laughs> so they wouldn't, they'd, be like, they'd just be like normal swamp animals. Like, you know, it's like, you know, foxes. They're just normal to us. For someone in another world, they might be strange and unusual. Well, for that, they're, they're just foxes. So I found that a bit odd when he goes, oh, there's some strange and unusual animals in the swamp. And you're like, really, for you? where they come from then so anyway that's me sidetracking and who's your least favorite character might be barbara um just because she was just um i wanted to be more involved but i think it was there was so much going on that you know it probably wasn't the right time for any development of her character sort of thing she's just very uh, much you know, there for padding and she's, you know, she's still the school teacher um, that doesn't let her guard down sort of thing. And she got to rock some pat, um, some fake leather out trousers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's more of a Dr. Susan and Ian's story than Barbara's. Barbara just felt like she was still coming into terms of the crew. Mm. Yeah. And what about yourself, Tom? Who's your favorite character and your least favorite character the Daleks? Tough at this point, but I would say Ian uh, was probably my favorite one. I would agree with Craig. I think as compared to the first episode, uh, Ian is uh, developing more character strength. He's developing more decisions. Um, He's, uh, you know, I mean, he's giving uh, the group more direction in terms of where to go. He's standing up to the doctor more. I think this thing about the doctor... Uh, I'm a little disappointed to see the doctor uh, take that uh, vial uh, where he had mercury all along and he said he didn't have it. Where what he really wanted to do all along was explore the city. And I'm saying to myself, what kind of nonsense is that? And he got everybody in trouble. And now all of a sudden he has the mercury. It was just a, it was just a little too, it's just, it's not the doctor, it's not the doctor of Tom Baker that I remember. Uh, and this guy just sounded like somebody who didn't mind getting the whole group in trouble in order to, you know, in order to just satisfy his own whims. Uh, so I did like uh, Ian in terms of the best. Uh, the worst I would say was that, uh, was that monster that, the whirlpool monster that gobbled the guy up. It looked like they used soap suds uh and i'm trying to remember what kind of i think i i think actually i found the name of the uh of the british uh of, of the british thing that they uh, uh that they used and i and i'm blanking out on it but daz. uh that what was that <laughs> daz <Yeah>. daz that's <laughs> so <laughs> That was really stupid. Uh, so, washed away by Daz. That was a really, <laughs> really stupid. 
And that was just, that was just like, you know, the guys go, ah, 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 and you see, and you see this damn, you see this damn whirlpool. It looks like it comes straight out of a washing machine. Uh, and uh, that was a hor- that, that was just a horrible. Uh, so if you want to call that a character, I would call that the worst one. Uh, so that's my take. Oh, my favorite okay. character has to be like Ian. I'm gonna say Ian. I thought Ian was very strong in this. Um, he did a fantastic job, and his character was very strong. And he and he saw some changes so far. So you see his character progressing um, through the storylines at the moment. So I like that. The worst. Um, well, little little Cindy Lou Who fall woman. Um, she was quite annoying, but I had a problem overall with the falls in general. And the reason why I had a problem with them is that we had falls in part one and it's like, they didn't come back for part two in the, the, the last three episodes. It's like we had a whole different one. We didn't get the gay one. Who's like off to the <laughs> side talking to everybody. We didn't get, you know, who had brown hair. Ra- Raquel Welch wannabe was missing in her, you know, in her little bikini, her little fall bikini. She was missing in this one. And, and all of a sudden they all became blonde for a sudden. So there's kind of a, a weird disconnect and i don't know if i would have found that if we didn't see them all if i i did i only saw the episodes that were covering so i kind of cut, watched the only episodes that we're doing before we record so i didn't watch it in its entirety as like that so maybe i wouldn't have noticed it so much but i just saw i was watching when i was watching the part two of the last three episodes i was like who are these blonde hair damn children of the damned people <laughs> sort of thing is just like you know and and you know and i and i just kind of wish there, there was a bit more cohesion with the thaws you know the, yeah. the, the characters that yeah, were from the beginning of it that they carried them all the way through so that way it would made a bit and because they all have blonde hair and there's you know there's john there's the dumb john boy john boy walton fall who you know <laughs> cut, who hangs off the cliff and he got him dying and then you got the pacifist thaw and little Cindy Lou Who thaw, yeah, grandpa thaw, yeah, yeah, and so it was really hard to differentiate them, and it's like they kind of lost their, their individuality that they had in the first part. So I'm going to say it's the like they had a hairdresser on Scarborough in the middle of all that. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like Thought they had a two for one special, with, um, a two for one special at the bleach the bleach salon around the corner from Estri. Barbara's, <laughs> Barbara's hair doesn't move an inch, <laughs> no matter what she's doing. Yeah. And then when you see it in the rescuer, has literally messy one moment, and then it's back to normal the next. Well, I have to admit that we got Barbara running around and never, t- never having a tear in her pantyhose once. Sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, um. I'm glad you know this. I'd I'd say my favorite Ian scene is definitely the Dalek scene where they're like trying to impersonate the Daleks and then they're trying to get him to do the monotone voice and he's like, like this, and he's like trying to work it out. Let's give this a five star rating now. Um, about what you consider the storyline of the Daleks in its entirety, not just the three episodes, but all seven of the episodes. And we're starting with you, Tom. What, how many stars would you give the Daleks? Considering what I've watched so far, and I mean what I 
what I watched in terms of Tom Baker. I would probably give this a, I'd probably give this a three uh, out of four. I would probably, and I'm being generous. Forget it. I want to give it a two because I remember what came later on, and I'm, uh, and and I'm, and I may be unfair because what came on later on when it was in color and when it was just really hepped up and you know and just so more together and uh you know the sound effects were you know were, were so much more were so much more there uh considering so i mean so i mean i i mean i'd give it a two uh and uh it was just starting out uh and it was finding its sea legs uh so just like in dark shadows when dark shadows first started out it wasn't exactly the cat's, you know, the cat's meow either. And there were many times when we went through some horribly, horribly slow episodes before we start, really started to get to the good stuff. So I give it a two, and I knew it was going to get better. And I say the same thing about Doctor Who. And what about yourself, Matthew? How many stars will you give the, the story of the Dalek storyline? Well, going back to when we did part one and comparing to this for part two, I'm definitely going to give it a four out of five because to me, this felt like the crows were growing. It just seemed very much a really good insight to the start of the Daleks before you obviously get that origin with Tom Baker. So to me, I think each cast member is building on to good natural chemistry but you can now see the downside people have with like the big crew of three because they've not only got to compensate for the Doctor and the three companions, they've got to compensate for the guest cast too. So it's trying to get them more breathing space. And what about yourself, Craig? I'll give it, I'll give it four and a half. And I think because it was, um, it was the tester story where it launched the Daleks and because of... Vera Evie and the first female producer, Warris, he's saying all those elements. I'll, I'll give I'll give it a four. Um, I love the shots of the the city as well through the telescope, the binoculars that the Doctor was using. I, I thought it was really beautifully well done. Um, but yeah, I'll see. Obviously, my Doctors and my favourites are probably like eighties who. Um, and then the Tom Bakers and that, but I've, I've, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll get to them. We've got plenty of time to get to them, but I think I'll, I'll probably be harsher on more of the the rest of what's to come. So, yeah. It's, um, I think kids would like John Perthway being in all colour and all that and his ninja ring. Yeah. Uh, well, he's Warzel Gummidge. Yeah. <laughs> Aunt Sally. I'm looking forward, I'm looking forward to Warzel Gummidge. Too. So... <laughs> I'll give you a little <laughs> trivia on Pertwee. Because of the budget, they actually had him stranded on Exile for Earth for like about two to three seasons. And then people started to get really frustrated by the fans for it because they wanted to see him in space in the TARDIS. And he had to go through two assistants before he was allowed to go back into space. Now, I'm going to rate this probably a three. Um, I... The thaw, I think if the thaws were better established and maybe if they were a bit more of a warring community, I probably 
they just seemed a bit too safe for me to be going against this. And I just under, I don't understand why the Daleks didn't just wipe them away. They could have wiped them away oh. very easily. They, they, there's no reason for them to even survive. So I had, you know, so I had a problem with that. And I love the introduction of the Daleks. I like what they're trying to do. I like the cohesion of the crew that they're, that they're growing. And I like the idea that they're, you know, we're not dealing with episodic television. So what any changes that are being happened to the cast and, the, and their characters are, are they're continuing with those changes, which I like that. Yeah. So that's what gives me a three. Though, as far as the Dallas are concerned, I kind of wish there was more of a, a dredge or a worry or more of a, a very threatening. I wish they were a bit more threatening to put me but on the edge a little bit, but they're almost there. They just need to push it. They need to push that envelope a little bit further for me. Mm. Unfortunately, the one for Hartnell's era that actually has that, that's episodic, you know, is unfortunately a lost story, the Daleks master plan, where they're literally, it's a 12-part, like, epic, and two companions die in it, but that's all, like, lost in time as well. Yeah, we're going to have to find a way to cover that eventually, so... Well, that brings us to the end of the Literary License Podcast, Doctor Who. Our next Doctor Who episodes will be the edge on the edge of destruction. Sorry, the edge of destruction will be two episodes, which will be covering what happens with Doctor Who, Ian, Barbara, and Susan as they wake up in a world that they do not know where they are. Um, so that will be the edge of destruction. Of course, the Literary License Podcast will be continuing our other episodes, which will include Remake, Remake will be The Women from 1939 and the 1956 remake, The Opposite of Sex. The original Women from 1939 stars Norman Shearer, Rosalind Russell, and Marjorie Mann, and Joan Crawford. And the remake stars um, Joan Collins and Miller and... Norman Shear, no, J- June Allison, excuse me. And of course, our M&M or Monsters and Madness will be covering the 1946 film, D- Double Indemnity. And of course, mixing that with Basic Instinct from 1992 with Sharon Stone. Our books to screen will be We Have Always Lived in the Castle based on Shirley Jackson and the 2000 and... Whoa, sorry, my brain just died there. We'll be covering We'll Always Lived in the Castle and the 2018 film We Have Always Lived in the Castle. And of course, as is before The Edge of Destruction, we Doctor Who from the which aired the 8th of February to 15th of February. And Batman, the animated series, we'll be covering the episodes I Got Batman in My Basement, Heart of Glass, The Cat and the Claws, Part One and Part Two. So it's good night for myself and good night, Tom. Good night, Keith. And then we do in Dark Shadows next month. Dark Shadows uh, will be returning in December 2022. Yeah, uh, good to, yep, yeah, all the DS fans look for us then. And good night, everybody. Pleasure to be here. And good night, Matthew. Yes, I have returned one day. I shall come back. Yes, <laughs> no, David, that's the next series. <laughs> good night, Craig. Good night from East Finchley, guys. And um, ch- check out my Instagram, Craigsworld2, or you can check out my merch on craigsworld.org. And it's good night for myself, and we'll see you next week for Make Remake for the Women. Tonight.